the hard shoulder with Nissan number one for petrol in Ireland number one for electric Nissan innovation that excites this is News Talk well, it's time now to continue our summer series, Wonders of the World, where we take a look at an iconic structure or building and how topical. As I get on the Ulysses for Irish Ferries tonight at nine o'clock, I'm wending my way to see my son John in London with Deirdre. Well, someone has to get me there. Uh, and today we're going to talk about a wonder of the world which is at the heartbeat of the history and the focal point of London, Westminster uh, the House of Commons, and most especially, the iconic Big Ben Clock. It's a pleasure to welcome back Danielle O'Donovan, Programme Manager with the Nanonagel Place in Cork City. Now, just before we come into the story about Big Ben and Westminster and so on, uh, next week is the last in the series, and we wanted to pick out an iconic, iconic Irish building. Now, there are loads of suggestions from the Custom House to different structures. Uh, Danielle is open to all offers. Tweet Danielle on at Patsy's Musings or our own Twitter handle at Ivan Yates NT if you want us to consider a suggestion. And if you don't come up with any, we'll come up with our own. The idea <laughs> is that it must be iconic and it has to be a building that people can picture like all the buildings we've spoken about so far. So welcome back, uh, Danielle. Let's start with Big Ben. Tell us all. Well, um, it's another one of those iconic buildings. And just as you said, it's one of those ones that you can picture in your mind. Um, we should clarify that Big Ben is actually the bell. And they're not quite sure where the name Big Ben comes from, possibly from the man, Sir Benjamin Hall, who oversaw the hoisting of the great bell into the tower. And I just have to get in here, Ivan. I know this is such a cork thing to have to mention it. Oh, but right. <laughs> Up your bye, yeah. go Shandon. on. St Anne Shandon has an older four-faced clock than Big Ben. It was actually put up in 1847. But um, Big Ben is world famous for being well, and incredibly it's called, it's accurate. it's called the four-faced liar, isn't it? Yes. So Big Ben, the, the clock goes in in 1859. Right. So Shandon is older, but whereas Big Ben is famous for being very accurate, often all four faces of Shandon are slightly different. Okay, well, so. now, uh, let's, just, let's just put this in context now, because it, it, Big Ben is part of the Palace of Westminster, Westminster mm -hmm. Abbey, St. Margaret's Church. The UNESCO World Heritage Site, does that include that and the House of Commons as well, does it? Absolutely. The whole site is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site and it's part of the medieval palace of Westminster. And basically what happened was that there was a, a catastrophic fire in 1834. Um, up till then, Parliament had been meeting in the medieval palace and most of that was burned down in that fire. And apparently it was because they hadn't invented shredders yet and they were burning confidential documents and the fire got out of hand. So it took out all of the kind of original palace building, the only thing left was Westminster Hall. I think it was an accident, but interestingly, there'd been calls for the building to be rebuilt for a couple of years because there'd been this great reform act of 1832 and people are going to have, uh, leave insert history flashbacks now. Um, but that was the one where they got rid of all of those rotten boroughs. Do you remember the boroughs where there was two fellas and then they could elect two MPs and so you could just bribe them and it was quite, it wasn't well, I've very always felt democracy is overrated. <laughs> I mean, I could run the country single-handedly. <laughs> So what happened, in these rotten, what happened in these rotten boroughs? 
So the idea was, you know, we now, we, the way we our electoral divisions work is there should be a kind of a fair kind of chunk of people who vote for an MP. But it had become so out of hand in England that there was these small villages where five people could elect two MPs or something. So it wasn't at all representative. And cities like Manchester, you know, which had grown up in the 80 years up to 1832, didn't even have an MP. So they reformed all of that. So this was in 1834... The, the mm-hmm. rebuilding and the reform of the electoral system were t- in tandem, were they? They almost came in tandem. So there'd been these calls, and actually that the radicals who had got into the par- in Parliament in, in greater numbers after the Reform Act had been asking for Parliament to be rebuilt anyway. They felt that they were all stuck in this old medieval building, and they hated the fact that it was an adversarial chamber, so benches facing benches, which is perfect for a two-party system. But they wanted to have a kind of a curved uh, Parliament hall, like we would see in the EU now, which could show a kind of a spectrum of, of political views. So this, this fire came at, um, at almost a good time in terms of um, Parliament redefining itself. But there was kind of a problem because these, um, the radicals really wanted to have like a Greek building or something. They wanted a Greek revival building because they associated that with ancient democracies like Greece and Rome. But then the Tories and the Whigs preferred something a little bit more old-fashioned, more Gothic, more English, and they thought, like, late Gothic English architecture would be the thing to go for. So what prevailed? Well, when the building burned down, um, it kind of turned into a political hot potato because the natural choice... Uh, was this man called Robert Smirk, who was largely a classical architect. And he was basically like the OPW architect of the time. So there's a kind of a silence for a while. The government's changed quite quickly, just in that early um, 1830s. So the Whigs are in power. They get um, dismissed by the king. Um, And just as they're leaving office, uh, Lord Melbourne, who was the the prime minister, appoints Smirk. So it's almost like a hospital pass. Here, you're going to have to have this classical building. And the reason classical buildings aren't popular is because the Prince Regent, who then became um, George IV, had been building classical buildings all over London in this very decadent manner. He had John Nash building Buckingham Palace and things. So here are the Tories now in power. So Robert Peel, who we remember so much from our own history books. Now, he happens to be a friend of Smirk. And so it seems like they're going to put up some kind of maquillard, gothic-y, classical-y building. But as soon as the Tories are in, they're out. The Whigs get back in and they decide to have an architectural competition. Public pressure grows and they say we we need this building to be amazing. Who won the design? Well, this is the interesting one. So Charles Barry is actually the man who wins the competition and he had built the Whig Reform Club. So some people said, wait a minute, he's a Whig, this isn't really fair. But his design was amazing and that's because he had got this genius young man called Augustus Welby Northmore Pugin to help add detail to his design. Was that the and same actually, Pugin that built all the cathedrals in Ireland? Because do we well, have a Pugin cathedral and then escort these St. Aidan's. Is that, yes, it's a Pugin, well, is that a different Pugin or is this the same? There are two generations of Pugins. So Augustus Pugin, um, he's kind of 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, but his son Edward Pugin is also an amazing architect. So it's one, there, there's a, a family business there. But um, people would say that Augustus is the true genius because he, so he's the earlier Augustus well-being. And, and so it, it was a kind of Charles Barry Pugin 
Co-design, was it? It was a co-design. So Barry's sending blank walls down to Pugin, and Pugin is just covering covering them in this amazing Gothic detail. And he's such a brilliant Gothic revival architect. He understands the language of the style so well that he can kind of use it in this really creative way. But, Danielle, I need to know more about, because I'd watch the ITN news, bong, bong, (laughs) bong, this iconic thing for the 10 o'clock news. What's the story about Big Bong? Because it doesn't seem to be bonging at the moment. The bong has stopped. And actually, famously, I think that's one of the things that makes it iconic, Ivan. It hasn't stopped. So it starts working in 1859, the clock. And um, they have to come up with this really clever design to keep it accurate because it's so high up in the air. The wind is going to blow the hands and everything. So there's loads of innovation even to make the clock work. And then it's this beautiful design that's one of the last thing that, things that Pugin uh, designs before he dies. And then the great bell, the bell at the heart of Big Ben... Uh, was cast in London and brought, uh, dragged by 16 white horses through the street. So everything about this Big Ben bell is special. And actually, it's the kind of constancy of it that people are very attached to. Like, it was bombed by the Luftwaffe during World War Two, and somehow the bomb missed the mechanism and it kept chiming and kept keeping time. So it's almost like a symbol of resilience and they use it for Remembrance Sunday and everything. And I guess... I can hear, almost hear it chiming now. I bet you can as well. But is it not silent at the moment? I thought there was a big it maintenance is. job. So it's built, you know, in the 1830s and 40s and 50s. Um, and it's, it's built of a beautiful stone which immediately started to weather. It was from Yorkshire. And now they're going to have to do a massive job on the Palace of Westminster. Like, Parliament are moving out in the 2020s so that they can do a huge job. And Big Ben is the first thing to get a restoration. So, essentially, they have taken Big Ben apart. Every single bit of it, every minute hand, every little bit of glass in that beautiful clock face, the whole clock has been taken apart. Um, And the only way that they're getting Big Ben to chime at the moment is electric electronically when it's needed for sort of New Year's Eve, for Remembrance Sunday. Um, They can't have it chiming because it's so loud. I think it's 118 decibels that when the builders are actually working on restoring the stone and restoring the clock face and everything, they can't have the bell chiming. It would damage their hearing. So Big Ben is silent. But there was a huge outcry, you know, when it was going to be silenced because people are just so used to it now. An incredible story of a well-known, iconic London site. Westminster, uh, the whole uh, palace, abbey and parliament, and then, of course, Big Ben itself. My thanks to Danielle O'Donovan, programme manager with the Nano Nagel place right in the heart of Cork City. Thank you indeed. And don't forget, if you'd like to suggest an iconic building next week, do tweet us or Danielle. Thank you indeed, Danielle. Talk to you again thanks, next week. Ivan. Thank you.